Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And they're all in for the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Ready to go. Welcome to Cup Week Radio. Stalls are back and they're racing. We're your dedicated 24-hour-a-day digital radio station. It's warning to Lake Southern Moon and it's Damien Oliver and warning to win the derby. Bowen de Clare up on the inside. Bowen de Clare, Prince of Baron is lifting late with El Paradiso. Fast for reality just in front. Bowen de Clare kicks. Bowen de Clare's won it for Australia. They're on top of the world. Miami bound drifting out towards the centre. Kicks away two or three Vegas still never listen late with Moonlight made. Miami bound in front, 100 metres to go. She's toughing it out. She's bumped the oak for Damien Oliver. Miami bound wins it by three lengths. Magic Wand three quarters of a length in front of Hartnell life less ordinary. Magic Wand on the quick back up is clear. Magic Wand a length and a quarter. Magic Wand has won the McKinnon. Cup Week Radio brings you all the racing, all the news and the colour. On track and off as we celebrate the Lexus Melbourne Cup Carnival. Hello, Gareth, all, and welcome uh, to Cup Week at Radio as we recap the four wonderful days of Flemington. Of course, it started off on Derby Day where Warning was successful for Anthony Friedman and Damien Oliver. It was also the day that Damien Oliver became the most successful jockey ever during a Flemington carnival, defeating Bobby Lewis with a win earlier on in the day. We moved on to the Melbourne Cup, and Valen Declare did it for Australia. Danny O'Brien's first cup, Craig Williams' first Melbourne Cup. Craig Williams will join us a little later on on Cup Week Radio today. On the Thursday, guess what? Danny O'Brien and Oliver did it again, taking out the Group 1 Oaks with Miami bound. And then on the final day, Stakes Day, one of the great training performances by Aidan O'Brien. Magic One, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup backed up to win, and McKinnon. So from two miles to the 2,000. And then James McDonald produced a perler in the Darley Sprint aboard a horse by the name of Nature's Trip who burnt up the Flemington turf to take out that big Group 1. This man who's about to join me has been sensational all week. Matthew Stewart, hello to you. Good morning, Gareth. Afternoon, Gareth. And Craig Ferguson <laughs> has also been a big part of Cut Week Radio, is in the house as well. Craig, hello to Gareth, you. Gareth, how are you? Hello, Have you Matty. enjoyed it? You've sat back and listened to every... Ten days. Every hour, days every straight. minute of Cup Week Radio. Had a ball. It's been great, hasn't it? It has been good. It's been, and it's been a cast of thousands. Like we've had the creme de la creme of racing media. Indeed, indeed. Uh, it, was, it was great. It's been great. Um, yeah, and then we had so, Turfy. The uh, revolving door of, and then Dr. Turf came in as well. Like KB, Turfy, uh, Greg Denham the other night and all these. Uh, yeah, we've, I've had a great time rekindling some old friendships as well, uh, on air, you know, microphone friendships and so on. No, it's been, it's been, uh, there's a, it's a special type of fatigue, isn't it? The, uh, post carnival, post cup week fatigue. You think you're, you think you're going all right coming to cup week and then mm. the, the marathon, I'm, I'm saying it's a wonderful experience, but it is, it, it leaves your feelings very, very tired yet satisfied. It's like, it's like that 18 hole 
round of golf special tired to play after twice. Golf where you, but yeah. we will uh, recharge the batteries tomorrow at the Emerald. Okay. Oh, that thing again, yeah. That yeah. Dog, dog, dog. Are you allowed to invite everybody, everybody oh. listening to Yeah, to I just realised as I said that. <laughs> it's yeah. sort of the Greg Miles <laughs> yeah, lunch. Yeah, no, that's, yeah that's, anyone can turn up. What time are the boys when, getting that's there? When good <laughs> men, <laughs> clock that's when good men behave badly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Keith oh. Hillier last year. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Try it, Jeez, the lunch starts at 12, yeah. rock into the Emerald at about 7.30 at night when they've moved into the bar. I wouldn't want to take Fergo anywhere. <laughs> just oh, tells no. everybody. Um, mm. Matty, it's been four wonderful days for mine. Obviously, I don't think the weather's been too kind to the VRC. But the racing's been superb. There's been, as always, and as a journo, there's been so many great stories to be told. Oh, there has. And I was when I was driving in, I was thinking about, you know, that old saying of life's a set of accidental, fluky circumstances one after the other. And I was thinking mm. about Vow and Declare. And it only dawned on me when I was driving in that, if it hadn't been for the CT scanner ruling out Marmello and Ispolini, Val and Declare would never have been in that Melbourne Cup field. So he would have missed the cut. He would have been below really? the... Yeah. I yeah, thought yeah. he would have snuck in. No, no, no. He would have... What number well, was he? He would have raced right? Saturday and probably won and then got into the well, cup. Well, look, I think he won as number 23. Yeah. And he would have been number 25 in a 24-horse field had it not been for uh, Ispolini and Marmello. And then I thought about how... You know, we are seeing this cup as a as a positive sign of re- encouraging reinvestment and thinking that we can still win our own cup. Had it not been for that Frankie Dettori laying in and then this incredible situation where uh, the runner-up, um, El Paradiso, actually knocked Vow and Declare and instead of knocking his socks off and pushing him backwards or in, he actually propelled him forward. So... You've got the, the CT scanner playing its role. You've got the interference playing its role. You've got the lack of pace in the race playing its role. You've got a short half-head winner, but the significance of that winner is is incredible given the um, the lack of faith we started to have that we could win our own race. But through a series of bizarre incidents, we, yeah. uh, we won the Cup. Well, that's what makes the sport so great, the stories behind the story. And I think it proves when it comes to sport, that you always need a little bit of luck. You need to be well prepared and you need to be talented and you need to have the ability, but you also need some luck. And you need not to think what would have happened if you had your chance again. I think the surprise baby grew. I was actually with a trainer today um, and we were talking about the Melbourne Cup and he said, oh... If Geordie Childs had had his time again, he probably wouldn't have come back with the I was waiting for a back to get on excuse. If you have your time again, you you, you make something happen. You know, mathematically impossible to come from where but he, he didn't know that at the time. He no. thought everybody thought there would be more pace on, probably apart from Craig Williams, who who delivered the ride of his life for mine to land where he did from the outset from that barrier draw. We'll have a chat to Craig Williams a little later on here. In mm. fact, he's nearly our first guest. He's live from Singapore. I recorded that interview about half an hour ago. And he he read the race better than anyone. He predicted the race better than anyone. And he he had that race in his mind and he thought how quick they would go. And he said, well, I have to be up on the speed. He believed the inside was a good place to be as well. So it was a genius ride by C. Williams. There's no doubt about that. Well, and One his of the own, great cup rides. His own personality and his own meticulousness came to the fore. He's a he's a very. We had a photo shoot organised for the paper I used to work work for about five or six years Herald ago. Sun. But he cancelled it 
he cancelled it because he wasn't comfortable that the house was quite neat enough. Like there was a there was a, an empty twi- twisties packet lying somewhere, and he he freaked out, and so he's he is so utterly meticulous. Mm-hmm. And a lot of jockeys don't walk tracks. Like a lot of them just sort of go, oh, yeah, we'll see what happens. He, it was only because of his the way he goes about his business that he came to those conclusions and, and rode the race he did. We had a chat to Tim Clark on Cup Day, wasn't it? Was it Cup yep. Day? Yeah, and he said he doesn't walk uh, walk the track because yeah. he has a different philosophy. Bowman's a yeah. bit of a non-walker. And, and Craig Williams. So mm. I don't think there's a right wrong. Some some don't think they need to and some think that they do. Well, I think one of the one of the most interesting things we've done all spring, and we have done a lot of stuff together to the point where we just want to strangle each other half the time, but the Hugh Bowman interview on the couch at Crown. One of my favourite moments. Yeah, yeah. And where Hugh basically just, I think he revealed a little bit more about his, the way he goes about things than than I'd ever heard before, about Mm. his instinctive riding style and how he doesn't want to overburden himself. And we've heard that sort of stuff before, but he's never quite gotten to that level of detail. That's been, I don't know if you agree, Craig, that's been the best part of, of Cut Week Radio for mine. We've been able to have a chat to the greats like Huey Bowman and other guests that we can sit down on that couch outside the Palladium Room at the Crow Concedo. Not having to watch Crow the clock Casino. as much as yeah, usual. Yeah, you either. don't have to watch the clock. And you're more relaxed mm. and they feel more relaxed and they give you an insight that even though that they've been interviewed a hundred times before, they give you a rare insight on Cup Week Radio Then I've, like, I've never heard them talk like that before. Mm. Mm. And I've... I've loved every moment of that and I've sort of nearly got addicted to Cut Week Radio even when I'm in the car because you listen to the night show or the afternoon team talking about racing. I find it fascinating. It's a it's a different way to broadcast the game of racing, to treat it like a sport and plus, plus you entertain at the same time. And Craigie... Um I just asked him a question when he's totally distracted. Yeah. But, uh, I think technology yes, is, you know, there was a time when digital radio was very, very difficult to access and very, a very small, a very small thing that was growing. But, uh, I think we, the, when we look at the digital future of the sort mm-hmm. of stuff we do on this station is on the alternative station with re, recycling them through podcasting and things like that. Uh, there's the, the, the market for digital's, uh, going up and up, isn't it? We'll talk about some of the big moments during, the carnival as this two-hour podcast rolls on. And we'll also talk about, we're going to go through our good, bad and ugly. We'll do that when Michael Lynch joins us in that second hour. What impressed you, um, what you thought that maybe was on the punnel. The, the ugly for mine will definitely be the weather. I've never really come across a week like it in Melbourne at this time of the year. Like, apart from Cup Day, it was just terrible weather, woeful weather, high winds, cold winds. Rain, but it goes back to Caulfield Cup. It wasn't just Cup yeah. Week. It, it, Caulfield Cup. I've never been more uncomfortable at the races than standing in the mounting yard in the yep. five minutes before the Caulfield Cup. Cox Plate was really average weather. Um, Derby Day was average. Oaks Day was terrible yeah. shame because the experiment of the the picnicy late start needed a good day to properly assess whether it worked or not. Mm. Uh, and yesterday, and Cup Day was, um, sorry, Stokes Day was deplorable. Craig Williams, who had five victories during Cup Week, including two Group 1s, Fierce Impact and the Kentala on the opening day, the Group 1 handicap over a mile, and then Willow turned up on that first Tuesday in November and delivered a beauty to win the Cup aboard the Aussie Vow and declare. So Craig Williams coming up next here on Cup Week Radio. 
This is Melbourne Cup Week's own dedicated channel. You're listening to Cup Week Radio. This is Cup Week Radio. You're with Gareth Hall. I'm about to catch up with Craig Williams, the man that rode two Group 1s during the Melbourne Cup Week Carnival, including, of course, Fierce Impact on the first day in the Cantala and then the big one on the first Tuesday in November, the Melbourne Cup with Val and Declare. Hello to you, Craig Williams, and thanks for joining us on Cup Week Radio. My pleasure, Gareth. Has it sunk in yet? Has it sunk in, mate, no. that you're a Melbourne Cup winning jockey? No. Um, it's more more the buzz, the feeling. It's it's electric. And I um, I obviously was quite naive 10 days out. Someone asked me, you haven't won the Melbourne Cup? And I said, well, I don't believe it will definitely define me as a person or a jockey because I've been really proud of my achievements in the saddle. And as it turned out, I was very naive because... After going first past the post on Bound to Clare, it just has been an absolute amazing feeling. We had a chat to Dipper on the couch there for the Carbine Club lunch, and we know that what Dipper's done, five-time premiership player with the Hawthorne Football Club. He's also a Brownlow medalist, and he said the Brownlow medal was the moment that changed his life. And I, I guess it would be similar for a jockey with the Melbourne Cup. You can win premierships and you've done that on so many occasions. But to win the race that stops the nation, everybody knows you now, Craig Williams. That's, I, but I always like the fact that when you don't have something, you always want it more. Yeah. They always say the, um, the wolf halfway up the hill is, is hungrier than the one at the top of the hill. And I just thought, like every race that you want to win, and whether whether it be your hometown country cup or whatever it is that's special to you, I thought it's amazing. But one thing about the Melbourne Cup, even though I was born into a racing family, so it's, it's ingrained in us. It's ingrained in the whole culture of Australia. It is the race that stops the nation. And when after that happened only a few days ago, wherever you walk, people are always congratulating and saying, "Well done!" Like the magnitude of of our famous great race is uh, is so big and, and I feel very very humbled, very proud to be an Australian and winning our greatest race on an Australian horse. Is it more satisfying, and I tried to explain this to a friend the other day, it's like Craig Williams has scored 45 points in the NBA Grand Final, the NBL Grand Final, or he's kicked 11 goals in an AFL Grand Final, or he's done a Steve Smith and single-handedly helped Australia <laughs> win an Ashes series with the way that he batted. Because your ride on Tuesday for an athlete, you couldn't really script a better ride, could you? You really couldn't perform any better than what you did there in that race, in the great race on Tuesday. Yeah, but it's different because um, I couldn't do it without Val and Declare. Yeah. His performance was amazing and that's the only reason why I won, not not me not me sitting on him. And and the only reason why Val and Declare went so well is because the way that Danny O'Brien and all his team managed the horse and they didn't tie anyone down with instructions or that I was able to make a clear decision with the horse, but I can't do it without them doing their job amazingly. You know, I was just privileged that I was on him and he was tough enough in the end and that's what makes it so special. It's a different different job, obviously, um, Steve Smith and all these great, these greats, they've obviously got people behind them. Well, I'm no different. I'm only as good as the people I had behind me, the the way I was brought up, and and it's great that I can share that with them. But again, when when we're jockeys with horses, the stars of the show is the athletes. Yeah. They're the thoroughbreds, and and Val and Declare, wow, and and 
you know, he won't notice significance of it. When well, maybe he realised that they all had different passports on them and bits and pieces. They spoke they spoke a different horse language than Australian. So, but he was he was awesome. He, he, he defined the ball on on the first Tuesday. Past the winning post, the first time. What's going through your mind, Craig? Well, if someone wants to get a photo, they might be a lap early. <laughs> but at least I can get a photo and say, went. I did it years ago. I remember coming back and I rode a horse for, um, I was riding in Hong Kong at the time and, and they rang, and I was laying in, I actually remember having a bath and, and the phone rang. They said, um, our horse got a run, would you like to come back and ride it? And it was actually, I can't remember the horse's name now, and it raced in the famous um, Sangster Colours. Yeah. Anyway, I went past the post from a tricky barrier draw in a great position, but the horse actually went amiss in the race. But, um, but oh, look, he, he was amazing down the clear. Yeah. When did you think you had that race? Obviously, you had that lovely trip and you were headed down that straight. Were you confident at any stage? And, well, when you say headed and you put a margin on it, it's definitely not accurate. But the, the um, Frankish horse put two lengths on me. Yeah. Prince of Aaron went past me and, and a couple of horses that went out wide. And it wasn't until Thursday night after the Oaks meeting. And we were just doing a big recap with my wife and going through the, the races. And she says, have you seen the angles? And I said, no, I haven't seen all the angles. She goes, you've got to look at the head-on head on vision of the race. And that summed it up. We only, Van Clare only won the race the side before on the line and mm. after the winning post. It was, it's amazing. Even when I watch it, and I can't stop smiling. It, it's made... It's made my life and people around me feel so special and feel honoured uh, by his performance on the day. This is Cup Week Radio. You're with Gareth Hall and our special guest is the Melbourne Cup winning jockey, Craig Williams. Craig, I love the build-up with Valen to Clare right throughout his preparation and hats off to the O'Brien stable and also yourself to provide an insight that the sporting fans that love racing don't usually get to see, like, the footage of you after the Caulfield Cup, the footage of you before the Caulfield Cup, working Val and Declare at Flemington, and then after the, the Caulfield Cup. And the message was that I'll be winning the Melbourne Cup. When you look back at those pieces of footage, you just smile and say, what a genius you are, Craig Williams. No, you've got to give credit. Matt Harrington, who's done the O'Brien's yeah. manager, he, he, he was big. I don't know... He had a sense of feeling, but what I loved about it was, as you just said, the story. People, if they followed the social media, got involved into it, yeah. and it was great. I'm lucky. I've got a media manager in Marie McEwen, so we started doing ours. We we start. We like to control the audio of a lot of those things, as you can imagine. But um, it was it was really. It's made it quite special that without knowing, we've actually done a bit of a build, a bit of a doco on on an Australian horse that took on the world in our greatest race. Lexus Melbourne Cup, and he won. So mm. if they can go back through all that stuff and have all the footage and, and have the build up, and and I think they've done an amazing job. And then they got the the all time result was he won, <laughs> which uh, doesn't always happen in sport. And Matthew Harrington probably didn't realise the job that he was actually doing for the sport. He was looking after the customers of Danny O'Brien, first of all, but he's been able to take everybody into the Val and Declare story. Of course, owned by a group of owners at Gympie. Have you headed back there yet, Craig? Obviously, you'd be the king of Gympie. I don't even know what Gympie is. <laughs> Beautiful town in Queensland. I want to... 
we, we, we had a chat to the Bunyip Football Club team who, of course, Bunyip was the town that drew Val and Declare with their barrier, barrier number 21, in the Melbourne Cup Tour sweep. And so that town gets $50,000 and they went through um, some really tough times with the bushfires and a lot of people lost their homes and and it was just a tough time for that community. So because of Val and Declare won that race on Tuesday, their community now of Bunyip get $50,000 and they say that they will put that money into helping people rebuild and and, and buying some furniture and, and supplies for those people that were involved in those bushfires. So I guess that that's an aspect that you probably... Did you know about that, Craig? No, what a great concept. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. I guess that just shows... Like, uh, like Dan Declare's story is, is the, the true iconic Australian sporting story where he was a battler. Uh, no one, you know, he was a reject. No one wanted him. All he did was work his backside off. He had people around him, encouraged him, gave him best love and care, and, and then he beat the rest of the world. And, and I guess... You know, when you look at Australia geographically, everyone lives for the landmass that we have. We've got 25 million people, but they live all on the outskirts. So anything inside that is tough, hardy country. And, um, and of course, our farmers, you know, they're doing extremely hard. And they do it hard anyway because farming is, is a tough life. But, um, but what they've been enduring recently, you know, I think that is absolutely a fantastic concept. And... And that, that's gone to a great cause. And you're the number one, they tell me, if you accept, you'll be the number one ticket holder at the Bunyip Football Club next year because of what you did for their community. So there you go. I was, I, I did play football. I was very good at cutting <laughs> oranges. Hey, Craig, just quickly before we let you go, I know you're a busy man. Fizz Impact was so good in the Cantala. He gave you a couple of group ones during the Melbourne Spring Carnival. And it was great to see Matty Smith, Smith taste success in a big race during our carnival. Oh, he's done a great job, Matthew Smith, with having that horse. He's um, he's he's got a horse that that was um, sold cattle for sales over in in England. He's brought him back. He's uh, he's just trained him really well. As soon as the blinkers went on, the horse improved. He's an anti. He's by the 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 son of the Fader, or not the Fader, but um, he passed away earlier this year in Deep Impact. Yep. He's now going to be able to have a life after as, as a sire. And he's now put two group ones, but just the way that he trained him, he had the right form, he had plenty of options, and I love the fact that he chose the Melbourne Spring Carnival to really kick him off, and I was grateful for the ride. Then he drew some tricky barrier draws. We um, we had good discussions about race strategies, and, and most importantly, he told me all about he, all about Fierce Impact, and he, he, he was great. The first time I, I won on him, he'd come from back and really had an amazing 600 metres, and then he stepped up to our hardest mile handicap um, for the year and uh, in the Cantala and he was great. He, he drew the bad barrier again and, and he really had to fight it hard to the winning post and, and he's just been so patient so he's only had the um, the three runs this preparation and two group one wins and second two the horse that won the Epsom and then won the Golden Eagle so they've done a great job managing this horse and, and next preparation he's obviously going to be a great tr- horse going through the weight for age races. Craig, you're a wonderful ambassador for the sport of horse racing. It was so great to see you live your dream and win a Melbourne Cup. You've got the Grand Slam now, the 
the, the Golden Slipper, the Caulfield Cup, the Cox Plate, and now the Melbourne Cup. Congratulations. It's been a big week. You rode five winners, including two big Route Ones, and the biggest one of them all, the Melbourne Cup. As always, Craig, you're brilliant with your time, and we appreciate that here on at Cut Week Radio. It's my, it's, it's my pleasure, and it is an honour. Celebrating the excitement, the fashion, the fun of Melbourne Cup Week. This is Cup Week Radio. Yeah, great to catch up with Craig Williams, Matty. I tell you, the other thing about the other tool that he brings to the table is his gratitude, and he's he's a very thankful person. And a lot of people have a bit of a giggle about how he thanks every single person who was ever born in a post race interview, but. It's a very. It's not. It's not a trick or a tactic, but it's just. Uh, it's something that is very reassuring to people who have mm-hmm. supported him along on the way through. And you know the old saying of uh, the people you burn on the way up are the ones that you know. Craig Williams has never upset anybody. You know he's, he's so he's very good at retaining uh, uh, connections and contacts and uh, support base. So yeah, good on him. We talked about the town of Bunyip in that interview with Craig Williams. That was the the town that won the fifty thousand dollars as part of the. Cup weeks or the the Melbourne Cup tour sweep. Now, the towns that were eligible for that chance to win fifty thousand dollars, the Cup tour had to visit one of those towns throughout a nearly a twelve month journey where the Cup goes right around the world these days. Mm. And it headed to Bunyip, and Brad Taylor is the president of the Bunyip Footy Club, and we caught up with him on Cup Week Radio after the victory of Vow, Vow and Declare in that Melbourne Cup. Yeah, look, it was. It, it, it was um, look. It was a, it was a summer time um, for the community. But um, look, there's been a lot of lot of great things. A lot of lot of good people get involved to get it back to, to where it is today already. Um, but I guess for us, this will allow us to to be able to try and house um, people in in the future. Um, within our community, so that they're they're not left stranded again. Um, if if some sort of crisis event was to happen, can you remember the day that the cup turned up and what it meant to the people of Bunyip, and especially the kids, the youth of this country, seeing the iconic cup? Yeah, look, I I, I do. Um, it, it visited our local primary school there, and um, obviously I, I didn't attend that, but. The reports were that the kids were just overawed by it all. They, they, they just love to see something that that everybody talks about, but doesn't necessarily come to a small town like ours. It just lit up their faces. So, um, yeah, we, we, we were just amazed that, that we were able to be part of such a a wonderful concept. And and yeah, we're really grateful to uh, to be included. So that's Brad Taylor, the president of the Bunyip Football Club, talking on behalf of his local community there. And great to see where that $50,000 will be going um, to. Obviously, as we pointed out before, they had some terrible bushfires in their community um, just over 12 months ago. So that's where the money is going to. And that's I think it's, I think it's a, a great initiative by the VRC to do what they did this year with the sweep. Well, we were talking during the week about the the ripple effect of the Melbourne Cup, how the, yeah. the greatness of the race is the effect it has beyond Flemington Racecourse. And as you say, like the, the, that Bunyip story there and uh, the Cup Tour highlights every time they have a whistle stop, they realise just how much people are, you know, like mesmerised by, the, by the, 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 the loving cup, the Melbourne Cup trophy. So I think if people want to challenge the idea that the Melbourne Cup 
his losing traction and losing relevance, you've got to continue to remember that it is beyond its own, the racetrack. Mm. It is everywhere. I mean, and I even my gut feeling is in Australia that it probably means more in the furthest corners of the it country than it does. Uh, you know, in the suburb of Footscray. And that's so. what Joe McGrath mentioned on Cup Week mm. Radio to kick it all off in the, the VRC Melbourne Cup Carnival or the Melbourne Cup Tour podcast because he is the man that takes the cup everywhere and he's blown away with what the Melbourne Cup means to the Australian people. And you know what that translates to, even though I'm a little bit cautious of the gambling message at the moment with racing, uh, the $27.2 million overall tote paramutual, which is every mum and dad, Mm-hmm. Type better, five dollar panda panda was twenty seven point two million compared to the Everest two point five, and to, to me that tells me that 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 old idea we have of the, of the the people queuing up at the local TAB, they might not do it that way anyway with their phones and that, but the old idea of Australia having a little token bet on Cup Day, I think the twenty seven million sort of suggests that that's still yeah. very much alive. Back to the races, I thought Danny O'Brien. What a week he had, and he was. I think if you had to give from the pat- uh, participants' point of view, three, two, one, I would probably give Dio O'Brien three, Oliver two, Williams one. Is that how you see it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Something. Yeah. Because <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, and I can't really think of it. <laughs> uh, I think Danny O'Brien has to be three. Yeah. From where he came from to yep. where he is, to win the Melbourne Cup and to win the Oaks, and Damien Oliver's. You know, the amazing thing was that I didn't realise until someone said it uh, that Danny O'Brien's first Group 1 winner in 2001 or two was a whole thing called Porto Rocker. And Damien Oliver wrote it in a Coolmore Classic. And the, the, the next one for that combination was, the, uh, was Miami Bound. Like, 17 Group 1s and however many years it was, 19 or 18 years, they are such good... Collaborators over such a long time. What a what a quirky stat it was that yeah. he he that the only book ended. He, he had seventeen group winners in the in the middle, Matty, and none of them were written by D. Oliver. And now they were probably the, nearly the most successful. I think they were the most successful partnership of the week. They won a wakeful together, and of course they took out the big race on the Thursday, the Kennedy Oaks, with a filly that had a first couple of runs back. This preparation, I think there was a question mark, but she quickly answered those critics with a brilliant victory in the Wakefield. And I was fascinated to hear Oliver speak after that race and said, we just learnt we didn't write her properly, especially at her second start, back this preparation at Caulfield. They worked her out and away she went. She was awesome. Especially, she, she was so dominant in the Oaks and she was the winner a long way from home. You know why guys like Pruska and O'Brien, Mick Kent's a little bit like that as well, and there are some other trainers as well, why they are so confident with their forecasts of what their horses can do. They're not guessing on pedigree like the mm. old way, oh, is it, it's out of as a bill mare, so it might run the Oak Strip out. They do research on lactic recovery, heart scores, lung capacity. They, these trainers are actually peeking under the bonnet, and they know they kind of know what's there. So when Danny O'Brien, I, I was with Mick Kent this morning, where he had a horse on the treadmill and... Uh, he always talks about lung capacity and so on, you know, and, and not not about pedigree, about what he can tell from, about the horse from various tests they can do. Danny O'Brien was confident with Val and Declare and Miami Bound six months out because he knew what was under the bonnet. He tested what's yeah. under the bonnet. He wasn't guessing on pedigree. So yeah, lung capacity, and you can go to the sales, and that's one you can look at horses all you like and see them trot up and down, um, but you can't see how big their heart is, and you can't see how big their lung- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anza. This is Melbourne Cup Week's own dedicated channel. You're listening to Cup Week Radio. One of the great training performances during Cup Week was Aidan O'Brien because Magic won, competed and was brave, I thought, in a Cox Plate and then turned up on Melbourne Cup Day. Ryan Moore said after the race that the pace was just too too slow for her in the middle part of that race and she finished okay but had really no chance from that draw after he went back. So they decided to back her up in the Wait for Age 2000 metre Group 1 on the final day. She was on pace. She was given a peach by one of the best riders in the world, Armour, and she did the rest to ruin the fairy tale, basically, of Hartnell's farewell run. I think it's talking about second. my quad, the fairy tale no. of my quaddy. <laughs> and TJ Comerford, who's been so brilliant with his time with the Australian media in, of course, Australia, as we talk about our bigger races and the races that Aidan O'Brien featured in. And once again, TJ, which is the travelling foreman for Aidan O'Brien, joins us now. TJ Comerford, hello to you. How are you, lads? Good, uh, thanks, mate. What about Magic Wong? Whose decision was it to back her up after the Melbourne Cup? I think it was a, it was a decision before the Melbourne Cup, so okay. that was the difference, you know. So, um, like, um, the, that was a plan, like, to run in the, in the McKinnon and... and, and and the Melbourne Cup, like, I mean, it's a race we want to win, and 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 if we can if we can go and win it, we we we'll throw the best ad we can, you know. Which on the day, like, I mean, Magic Wand was a class act, you know, but it just it just didn't work out, you know. Like, so um, she she still ran her heart out, you know, and and um, she got into a, a she she got a few bumps and grazes on her as well out of that race, but she still came out of it very well, you know. TJ, when we think of European horses, we think of spaced campaigns and slightly more delicate horses than the Hardy campaigners here. But the the fact that Magic Wand was going to run uh, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup, and, and then the McKinnon on the Saturday, even just even before it was a slowly run Melbourne Cup, and she came out of it without having really exerted herself, she she must be a rarity for a Northern Hemisphere mare, and that she's her constitution and her ability to back up is a bit unusual, isn't it? I think I think it's worth remembering that um, Aiden doesn't really. Uh, I mean, I know you might think that that it's unusual, but I can tell you stories that I we ran a filly two two or three years ago in the Pretty Polly Stakes at the Curra on a Sunday. She finished fourth at um, a Group One. I flew her on the Monday to America to New York. She she was in two days quarantine there. Took her out on the track then on Thursday and Friday. Ran her on Saturday and she won a Group One. And I flew her home and she was home in her stable on Sunday night. Uh, equally, I took a filly called Together to Keeneland um, many years ago. She she ran in in a, against older fillies over over a mile a mile a mile on the uh, Saturday, and she finished second. And then she ran against her own age three-year-olds on the following Sunday group ones again and she won so it's not unusual for us we 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 
we run them as we see fit, and Aidan runs them as as as, he, as once he's pleased with them and wants to come out of the race is fine, and there's no there's no exertion on him. But but we we would be one of the few that would do this. So even though you might look at Europeans as as they don't do it, well we we kind of do do it, you know. So it, this is not unusual, but we just stuck to the plan, and 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 the plan obviously worked except probably the bit in the middle with the Melbourne Cup. But other than that, um, it was just a matter of getting our ground. And, and coming here, we, we look at it if we're coming to Australia and Thal's and, uh, and son and all that carry on, but not really, not really when, it, when it's your spring carnival. It's actually spring weather, and, and that's the way it goes. But um, she never got her, her, her best ground was yesterday. That was the difference. Her best ground was yesterday. So if she gets her ground, she'll turn up. She's been a wonderful horse, and she proved that during the European season as well. And then I thought her Cox Plate run, TJ, was enormous. We all know that she didn't have any luck in the Melbourne Cup, and then she turned up in the McKinnon Stakes and did the job beautifully. Where would she rate amongst the horses at Belly Doyle? Uh, yeah, she, she'd be one of our top ones, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, she got, beat, she got beat before we came here. Um, she was meant to come on the, on the, in the first shipment. But it didn't work out with the Irish Champion Stakes. Um, so we ran her in the Irish Champion Stakes. So that means then she had to go into the second quarantine. Uh, so that means she came in the second shipment. So um, um, when she finished second to to Magical in the Irish Champion Stakes, and and Magical came out and, win, and wins the English Champion Stakes. So I suppose I suppose she's up there in our pecking order. Like I mean, she's a really good filly, and 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 we did think a lot of her for for for. For, for years, so like it's just not a, it's just not a. I, I, it would be unfair to call her your second string. It's it just want to go further on that. I mean, within the the current Belly Doyle umbrella, she's one of the better horses that's uh, accepted. But just the difference in quality and depth between the best we can muster up outside of a Winks era, and just the average season of good horses in the UK and Ireland, where uh, they, no matter how you know, the top of that list always would be better than what we can muster up here. So the McKinnon Stakes is, is the best we could do. That's the best field we could muster up. How, how in the context of Enable and Crystal Ocean and, and Co in, in, in the European season, how far off them would Magic Wand be? Well, I think if Magic Wand, like, you know, Enable, it, it all depends on ground. And, and at the end of the day, um, we we have to split them up the best we can. So I suppose when when we go to take on the likes of the Naval and Crystal Ocean, you have to run your best, you know. And I suppose our best this year was magical, you know. But we we went to the well a lot with her, like you know, she's ran in the t- in the toughest races on the hardest. When I say the hardest ground, it was heavy ground, and and in fairness to her, she kept pulling it out. But magic won. She's a filly. Magic is a filly that you could run probably on any ground. While Magic Wand, it's not the case. She just needs top of the ground. So I suppose the plan was to come here, hoping that we get top of the ground. It didn't really work out for us. But yesterday was the first time that we got close to it. And you'd be more confident about yesterday. But, like, I I suppose it's hard to weigh up, like... um, Horses at different trips, European horses, mag, uh, Magic Wand, um, uh, is a mile and a quarter filly, 
um, Magicals, Mile and a Half, Crystal Ocean, Mile and a Half, and all that. But like we we did bring um, we did bring uh, Highland Reel here, and he finished third in the Cox Play, and I I really fancied him, you know. Little to know, then we found out that there was a, such a horse called Wings, so that changed everything. And the first three home broke the track record. So like, even though I I I don't I think there's a lot of very good Australian horses there, but it probably takes like it's like. It's like to me coming here last year. Your sprinters probably weren't as good as it has been, but all it takes is a, a year under your belt and 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 away you go again. And the same can happen with uh, middle distance horses. You know, it only takes one or two to come along now and again, and that and that keeps the whole thing going. In in my opinion. We're talking to TJ Comerford here on Cut Week Radio, the travelling foreman for the great train Aidan O'Brien. TJ, after the Melbourne Cup, can you take us into the inner sanctum with Wayne Lord and El Paradiso who flew home and was unlucky, and many say was unlucky not to win it. Why didn't Wayne decide to protest straight after the race? I suppose, like, you know, uh, Wayne seeing that it just... Like, it didn't happen for him early on in the race, you yeah. know. Um, he didn't jump well. He didn't do everything. He came home well. And, and then the line probably came too soon. If the line had to come a little bit later, it would have been a different story, I would have thought, you know. But there's no point in saying that we should have done this and we should have done that. It just it just wasn't meant to be, you know. So all the protests in the world wasn't going to, wasn't going to get you across the line, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you've got you a little bit closer to the front, but that's about the size of it. Now, take, no, yeah. He did. He did. He did run. He, he did run a very good race, and and and, and he is a a, a, a three year old from our side of the, the the water. But like you know, he 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 did he did improve for being here and that, and and he's probably a horse for the future. So obviously, he's been sold to Australian Connections, and he'll be trained by Chris Waller now. So looking forward to seeing how he goes. Do you think he can win a Melbourne Cup? I I think that this horse. Could be a horse that 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 is only going to get better, definitely only going to get better, and and um, and and he's going to be more mature as well. You know, like he's he he he, he had to do it the hard way on Tuesday, and and he just he just he just ran out a race track, but at the same time, you know, he he did run a solid race, and if anything that can can uh, go on and, and win a Melbourne Cup or go close, it would be him again. You know, he'd be a horse I wouldn't I wouldn't like running into next year. All because we had him and and that you know and and his farm is good in Europe and you know around the likes of Stradivarius and and running in 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 a in, a, in an English Saint Ledger and 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 finished behind Logician which is a, a horse you're going to hear more of as well you know so like his farm is good and 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 he's a he's a grand horse to do anything with and he'd be very easy to train you know there won't be any issues with him. It's been a pleasure, TJ, having you in this country. Thanks for your time as always, and we'll catch up with you next year. All right, thanks for having me, lad. This is Melbourne Cup Week's own dedicated channel. You're listening to Cup Week Radio. Vinci, hello to you. Did you enjoy Cup Week? I enjoyed Cup Week. I enjoy the whole carnival, yeah. really. You know, I mean, I sort of think it really kicks off with Memsey Stakes Days, the first day that we get really serious, and that's the end of August, and it's overshadowed, obviously, by the footy finals for that first month. But And then it really kicks up a gear, Turnbull Stakes Day, and, and obviously the great highlight, the crescendo, shall we say, yeah. for that last week at Flemington. What was your highlight? 
at Flemington for the four days? Ah, uh, look, it's very hard to go behind, but go beyond uh, a Melbourne Cup winner, particularly one with a good news, feel-good story for Australian racing around it. Uh, a horse that was bred here, and there aren't many of those, are there, that we get into the cup field these days. Uh, produced in Queensland and uh, ridden superbly by Craig Williams. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm old enough, uh, plenty old enough, actually, but there are a fair few older timers than me about, and pretty much to a man and woman, they all said they struggled to think of a better ride than the one Craig Williams yeah. gave Vaughan de Clare. I guess that's another little talking point is in the context of great winning Melbourne Cup rides, how does it rank? Is it is it the greatest winning Melbourne Cup ride in in living memory? I remember the year Glenn Boss won the third one on Maccabi yep. Diva, he said it was a really interesting post-interview where he was sitting up there with Lee, Tony Santic, Glenn Boss, and Bossy said he had a drink with Tony Santic at Crown the night before, you know, in the early evening. And he said to him, mate, I've, I've imagined it in my mind every step of the way, and I know where the gaps will appear. I know what's going to happen. And then he, it, it appeared that way when you look at the replay and... He just kept picking his way through the gaps and picking his way through the gaps. And in the post-race, he said, it was like it was preordained. Yeah. It was like it, the gaps happened as I imagined them happening and so on. So as far as the quirkiness of that goes, so Boss is third on Maccabi Diva, Craig Williams' win. Michelle was a little, was a great, 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 great ride, but it was also assisted by Frankie Dettori wiping out half yeah. the field. I think Boss's ride was superb because there was so much pressure on him for that third Melbourne Cup, the nation were, were watching Glenn Boss and Maccabi Diva trying to do what no horse has ever done. Under those circumstances and the pressure, big tick to Boss. But Craig Williams won that race because everyone probably knew where Bossy would have been in the run with the speed maps hmm. with Maccabi Diva, but no one predicted Craig Williams to be behind the speed and in front for the past the winning post for the first I, time. I know you're a young fella, but I, I don't know. Did we actually have as many speed maps back then? We're talking, you know, 04, 05, 03, 05. I don't think they were described as speed maps, uh, but I think people know, had in their head yeah, what they thought would happen. really interesting you're talking about Bossy, you know, essentially mm. visualising, which is what a lot of sports psychologists mm. and a lot of sports coaches will instruct players to do in in big game moments and and you know him seeing where the gaps were coming just an, another sport entirely but i remember a long time ago in a world far away being uh, at a formula one race where Ayrton senna yeah. had dominated and senna spoke very much like that you know Ooh. i saw the whole event unfold in front of me i could see the racing line the back markers the cars i would need to uh lap get out of the way and i guess when you're really really in the zone as glenn boss clearly was on yeah. that occasion and Ayrton center was so many times and countless top footballers are and golfers and people like that you you do tend to see these things happen you, you actually do it, those those sportsmen who talk of those things they talk they they actually do develop peripheral vision for that moment yep. and they're not they may never get it again but they get a they get a sixth sense yep. for those. absolutely and i think when you're really really in the zone i was minded of it earlier today when i heard james mcdonald talk about his ride on nature strip mcdonald said 
I actually didn't feel I was going very fast. I mm, felt like mm. I was sort of, you know, on my own and just cantering along. Mm. And I think when you're really, really in the zone and everything's flowing perfectly, it's that, in, in the case of racing, mm. it's that kind of mix where mm. horse and rider become one. Mm. That's part of the magic of horse racing. If we're trying to work out, you know, where racing's at, and one of the magical things is that very thing you say, the relationship between horse and rider, and, and there's, there's something, you can't replicate it. You know, it's just, it, it, it is what it is, you know? Well, I th really think racing, you know, we've, we've talked throughout this whole carnival on Mondays, Matt, you and I with Michael Felgate and various other shows on this station about how does racing change its image and from the assault and battery that it's actually under, you know, from certain sectors of the public. And I really think it almost needs to go back to basics, to just talk about the glory, mm. rather than all this, so oh, he's worth X now that mm. he's got a Group 2 placing. All the news, all the colour, all the key information. Wherever you're listening, you're on Cup Week Radio. Here's Cup Week Radio with Gareth Hall, Maddie Stewart and Michael Lynch. We've got a special guest, John O'Neill, who had an up and down Cup Week, or before Cup Week anyway, and he joins us now. Hello, John. G'day, Gareth. How are you, mate? Good, thanks, mate. We'll kick off with the derby. What about that warning tasting success for your good friend, Anthony Friedman, and also your good mate, Damien Oliver? Yeah, no, look, it was fantastic, mate. It's been, it's been a terrific course, and uh, I think, as I mentioned, Sam and Anthony bought him as a yearling and uh, have sort of looked after him all the way through. And a great buddy of mine, Billy Pearce, um, who we've raced horses over a number of years together, is in the horse with me, as well as about another 42 lunatics who I don't really know that well. But they all carried on pretty well and celebrated pretty, pretty late in the evening, mate. But it was fantastic. Great. Just, just great. I think talking about celebrations, I was watching in the scales area. You've got me pictured. I'm facing the scales, watching the TV. There's a TV to, off to my left, and there's a groove there, and there's a bloke hysterically screaming home, not for the horse, but for the jockey. It was go, Damien, go, Damien. I looked around. I knew who it would be because I knew about your relationship, your long-standing relationship, not just with the stable, but to that jockey. Tell us, it, it said a lot to me that you were cheering the jockey as much as the horse, Johnny. Yeah, look, I think that's right, Matty. I mean, I've known Damien since he was 15, um, you know, when he came over from Perth, and obviously I've known the Friedman boys that long too. So we've had a really good relationship, and, um, you know, it was a difficult decision um, from the owners' group and from Anthony to, to take Martin Harley off the horse because he's done a reasonably good job. Um, and as, as a matter of fact, he's he, he done a great job. So he won the, the listed race, the superimposed, and then he ran second at Caulfield in the lead-up, and... But we just had a really good chat collectively and we thought it was just the best move for the horse for the longer term to try to get Damien to ride it. And as I said, when you've had such great relationships and friendships over a long period of time, to, uh, to catch up with him the day before and sort of plot what we wanted to do um, and then for him to... Uh, to work to the plot and for us to get the result was amazing. You've got a, a, a gelding, I think he is, isn't he? Who, uh, so no need to rush him to stud. Uh, by declaration of war, he's won a derby. Looks like he'll stay all day. Is 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 he the kind of horse now that can become a flagship, say, along with Val and Declare, to try and lift Australia's staying stocks and, and become a real kind of standing dish in Melbourne Cups over the next two or three years? Well, I think we're certainly um, hoping so. Having a having a good chat with Damien on the Friday prior, and then even after, he had a lot to do with Val Declare on the way through, and he uh, he certainly thought that he'd had a great hope in the Melbourne Cup, and he certainly gave us the the strong opinion after the race that he thought we were going at least as good as 
what it was at the same time. So that's pretty positive. Um, you know, look, I, I think from a racing perspective, um, you know, we, we, we continue to look overseas for these international style horses and, um, you know, we've just, we've just bought another one to, to try our luck again. But look, we're certainly hoping from an Australian perspective, obviously, Passant the Deloom is doing a really good job and I've got a really nice, reliable man, Colt with Richard and, um, and Michael Friedman in Sydney called Tombstone. So I think Reliable Man's doing a good job. So, I mean, I, th- I think at the end of the day, it's whether people have got the time, and that's that's always the challenge. Everybody loves to get to the races, and, and a lot of people get love to get their carnival time. But as we all know, it's a it's a long journey, and you buy these horses as weanlings or yearlings, and you've got to care for them for a couple of years, and then take your time through their two-year-old career because most of them don't race, and then three. So... You need to have patient owners, and I think that's why a lot of people are trying to buy these tried horses um, that are already established so they can get them out and run in the cup. It's a funny thing, isn't it? There's the people don't have the patience specifically in the Australian breeding industry to breed stays, but I think it's just people in general. Uh, we lead much more rapid lives these days, John, don't we? Where We seem to be more time poor than before, even putting away the slow maturing racehorse side of things. I think it's a human nature in general these days to want a, a, a faster thrill, isn't it? Well, I think that's probably right, but I mean, I think if you have a look over the last few years, there's been a lot more prize money and support put around, you know, the quality staying races. And I think, you know, you guys are much in, in a much better position than me to, to be commenting on this. But I would have thought, you know, traditionally we've bred sprinters and we want to get two-year-olds up and going and there's big prize money, you know, there's 11, $14 million sprint races. So at the end of the day, um, that's always been the way that our breeding in, industry has sort of poked along. And I think for years, you know, we were trying to buy stayers out of New Zealand because they... They seem to be more patient. We used to say the grass was better and, uh, and the bloodlines enabled us to buy some nice stayers out of there. So so I think at the end of the day, um, this whole industry process is going to be a really good shake-up um, and, and, and let's hope we get some really good stallions. You know, we've got Marmello, obviously, that um, we're probably going to send back, but there might be some opportunities for stud for him here and... I mean, if we could get some really good sort of mile, 2,000-metre quality mares to him, I'd love to see what he could do out. Just on that, but unless he's got a question as well, but what's happening with Marmello? Is, it, is he being retired now? Is that is that the story? Or Well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, funnily, funnily enough, I'm having a coffee with Tommy who, who looks after the horse um, at the moment. I just took him for a swim down to the Brighton Bars to get him out of Werribee for a few hours. And um, so sitting here with Phil Merton too and... Um, so look, I, I think I think what will happen with him is uh, Huey has sent a number of notes back. We're going to go to the VRC sometime this week and send some notes in, just have a conversation about where we are and where we're situated. Um, because it, look, it's been a really frustrating period of time. We don't need to, to, to go on with it anymore, but it's just been really frustrating. All of the information we've got from overseas, even from the UK, with Huey getting back, is the scans are completely misread. People don't really understand what they're looking at yet. There hasn't been enough. There's no measurement on what was there before to what there is now. So we're just making a decision on, on where we can go and what we can do. Um, ideally, it would have been nice to go on to Perth. Um, the challenge is um, that it's a 2,400-metre race. We, we're obviously looking for a bit further than that. We've probably seen his best forms sort of 2,600-plus, so he's a real staying horse. So we may consider Saudi. There's a race over there. We may consider Dubai. 
But I think first and, first and foremost, you've got to work out, is, is he allowed to race as a result of his CT scan finding from racing Victoria? Just, John, if I could take you back to the penultimate question where you're talking about buying these tried horses. I mean, you know, to get a high-class one, you're talking at least seven figures, I'd imagine, you know, for a younger one on the way up that's got earning potential for two or three years. Where does the, the cost-benefit analysis, the value equation between going and doing that and having a runner ready to go, say, next carnival. Uh, where does that cross over with uh, breeding one here, which is going to be a lot cheaper, keeping it in a paddock for two or three years with the adjustment cost, but then maybe having a racehorse? You don't know you will, of course, have a racehorse, but you'll have a fair idea by that stage. Is there a kind of crossover point at which you say, nah, it's all too hard, let's just go and spend a lot of money and buy one? Yeah, look, I think it comes down to going back to what Maddie said before, too. I mean, people are generally time poor. I think it depends where you are in your life. I think it depends the people that you choose to race with, um, whether you're involved in studs and whether they're happy to support you as well. So the great thing about this industry is you, you can go to a yearling sale and you can buy a horse for $6,000 or $5,000 like a surprise baby, Um or you can go and buy an expensive horse if, if that's what your choice is. So I think it's like anything. Um, to be trying to measure the crossover points is pretty difficult. Um, you know, I've had so much fun over, over a long period of time. and I've been involved in large shares in very cheap horses. We paid $40,000 for Mummify. And I've been involved in very small shares in very expensive horses. And I've had great fun with a horse like Al Ivanhoe, who was out here to win a couple of Group 1 races. So I think it depends, Michael, where, where you are in your life at that stage and, as, as I say, who you want to race with and, and what you want to do. I mean, if we're all sitting around thinking that we're going to put $100 in and get $500 back, um, I think you, you've, you've got to include the experience you have, the fun, the business contacts, the social environment you get from it, and then just the joy of, of getting to know the horse and spending time with it. So for me, um, you know, I'm just at a stage in my life where I like to do both. Um, you know, so we'll go back and buy a number of yearlings like, like we did warning, but we'll also try to find the right international horse if we can. John, what about El Paradiso? You purchased that horse along with some fellow Australian owners. Why did you buy this horse and how did this deal come about? Yeah, look, Ozzy Kerr, who, um, who sort of leads our syndicate from the international horses, um, obviously had a, a share in Yes, Yes, Yes and has a good relationship with Tom Magner at, at Coolmore. Um, we obviously identified the, the horse prior to the race, um, as well as being in the race, and knowing um, knowing you know what, what a wonderful breeding establishment Coolmore are, and, and what a fantastic guy Tommy is, and the rest of the team. Just just even for us to be able to race with us with them is is, is a real privilege. So Aussie made some contact uh, prior to the race, and they weren't going to sell. Certainly made some contact after the race. Um, and, you know, going back and forward, I, th I think there was a number of other people that were pretty keen to try to get hold of him. I mean, everybody saw the run. It was, it was, it was a pretty powerful run, and he looks like an unfurnished, beautiful colt to me. So, um, you know, I, th I think in this stage, Gareth, we're, we're just really lucky to be in the horse. Tom's going to race the horse with us. Um, so, you know, there'll be myself and Phil Merton, who um, was luckless. You know, his horse ran second master. Yeah. Um, Design, I think it was. So it, 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 it ran second. So he'll race with us. Um, myself, Ozzy, Ozzy's brother, Victor, most of the Marmello guys, a guy called Barclay Nettlefold, another guy called Dave Edmonds. So just buddies and Brett Carty, just, just mates. So 
really exciting time for us. Not quite sure what's going to happen with the horse, but we'll, we'll have a good look in the next two or three weeks. Good luck with El Paradiso. Um, let us know what Marmelo will be doing. Obviously, there's a few decisions that need to be made about that star horse. And um, good luck with Warning as well, heading towards next year's Melbourne Cup. Just the last one before you let you go. Warning is El Paradiso. Especially El Paradiso, what do you? Pl- how do you plan out a- another Melbourne Cup tilt with him? Because you probably don't want to win too many big races, so he gets too much weight. Well, I think in that instance, Chris Waller's going to train El Paradiso, yep. so I'm sure Chris will work that out. And from Anthony's perspective, he'll do the same thing. So I'd like to say that we have a bit to do with that. We may act as if we do, but at the end of the day, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we 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 follow what what the skippers say, and in that instance, it'll it'll be what. Whichever way they want to go, Gareth. One of the superstars yesterday was Nature's Trip. Here's James McDonald talking on RSN on Sunday morning. We'll hear from James just shortly about his ride on, on Nature's Trip. And many say it was nearly the ride of the carnival. It was exactly that. It was obviously, he got into a lovely rhythm out there and and did the rest. Not in my wildest dreams, but I expect a performance like that from him. And I thought it would always be a close finish, but he, he was really dominant and it just shows how much he's um, come from his first trial, this preparation, which we thought he was flying and trialled enormous until ending his preparation in a style like that. It was, it was pretty cool. He's got a mind of his own, to be fair. He's, he's quite a strong-willed sort of horse, but when he works, he works with purpose, which most of those good ones are sort of do. But um, he's he's been a work in progress at the moment. We've had anything to do with him, and he's, he's now won three group ones with Chris and his team so they've done a marvellous job and what we were doing earlier on wasn't really working but in saying that it's probably worked now it's showed dividends because even though he's still leading his races he's probably not leading so aggressively and, and that's what's probably helped him finish off his races the last few times times and, and become a three-time group one winner. So that was James McDonald talking about Nature's Trip and when we mentioned some people said that it was nearly the ride of the carnival because they thought that he was able to make it into an 1,000 metre race and he got Nature's Trip to settle for that first furlong. He got away with a nice sectional and then made it a 1,000 metre race and we all know how dominant Nature's Trip is over that trip. Well he was and this is easy in retrospect, he was a total moral yesterday because people but You, you declared him didn't you Matthew? Well to be fair Matt's been saying that for about six months on, on the radio show. Get this all back up the straight where everything yeah. <laughs> see what happens around corners with Nature's Trip is everyone wants to get across to, yes. the, to the shortest route home and they crowd him and pressure him and in a straight line he, he rolls through his gears like a, like a Harley Davidson. It was a perfect on his own storm t- for him yesterday. But it, it's, it's never happened any other way for him and, and up the straight they always sit up there's never pressure they always just sort of stare at each other yeah. and uh, it was the most perfect combination of factors for that horse yesterday and I think Chris Waller I think the error that Chris Waller has made with that horse in the last however many months is that he hasn't identified the straight as a happy hunting ground for him he should have been there at every opportunity you know well he's a Sydney based trainer and the horse is he's in a, Sydney most of the time well, he's, and there he's are got a no Melbourne straights. annex and the, the, the straight last time I checked was at Flemington not Ramwick so I oh, know but there is only one straight course in the country and they don't race at Flemington every week but no that's true but anyway Royal Ascot is now a lovely, lovely, lovely idea well, for him. Well, that should really suit that. It's a stiff, 
five furlongs, so you'd think the King Stand stakes. Yep. He's proven now he can get 1,200 down the straight. The King Stand is 1,000 metres on the Tuesday at the Royal Meeting. That should suit him down to the ground. And the six furlongs on the Saturday, the Diamond Jubilee stakes, maybe you need a six-and-a-half furlong horse, and but but why not back him up, have a go at the two? Well, Schwazier did it, and well, others Well, he's the doppelganger tried. for yeah, Schwazier. and he was a little bit stiff regarding the lightning because that's the situation where Darren Weir was the saga with Darren Weir, so I don't think he was allowed to run in the lightning stakes. But that was, the, well, whatever the reason was, that was the first... Well, sup- setting back anyway, so it was well, just at a bad time. Yeah, well, from now on, every time there's a feature sprint race up the Flemington Straight, they probably wait for age, then Nature Strip has is, to be Isn't out. it great? He's a golding. He's not going to get packed no. off to... Well, he would have been at stud already, wouldn't he? He'd have run in the Coolmore or something and, and then been off to stud at the end of his three-year-old career. So it's fascinating that the two horses are probably on turf regarded as the fastest two in the world are both five-year-old geldings. Yeah. Batash in Europe yeah. and Nature Strip in this country. And you know, I reckon he's the one that has them hanging over the mounting yard fence more than any other horse at the moment. The fascination for Nature Strip, even though the weather was horrendous, like of all the horses walking around yesterday, the one that had most eyes on was this... Uh, unusual horse nature strip who's just such a beast to look yeah. at but he's he's so polarizing mm. he he was he had people fascinated yesterday in the mounting i could well, tell everyone was looking at him. yeah and in the way in a different kind of way that chautauqua used yeah. to have them you know is freak he gonna show the freak, freak show, show. is he gonna yeah. get there is, yeah. we know he's <laughs> yeah. gonna come yeah. late is he gonna get there and then sadly it became is he gonna start he's the glenn maxwell of racehorses he is and and what about and lynch you wanted to have a chat about the mayor um, that was successful for Willie Mullins there yesterday. True, True self. True self. Um, would she be, where do you think she would have finished if she snuck into the Melbourne uh, Cup? Well, given what, there were two lengths between the first nine or something, uh, she would have been right, right in the shake up, yeah. I think. The way she won, I mean, I thought for one horrible moment, Ryan Moore wasn't going to get out because he looked like he was being smothered up, but he sort of shouldered his way out. She went and won. She's by a jump stallion called Oscar, who has had grand national winners or runners, all sorts of things. And uh, Willie told a nice story. His son, Patrick, bought her out of a bumper. Now, uh, for those who don't know, a bumper is a race in England or Ireland for national hunt-bred horses who've never run on the flat. So she was four or five before she actually even had her first run under rules. And Patrick bought her out this bumper in England where she'd been beat brought her back and Willie said, what did you bring that little thing here for? You know, thinking she was going to be a jumps horse. But she uh, she certainly, and she, she she was very good over she ju- jumps. She won one of Ireland's richest handicap hurdles at the biggest jumps festival, Punchestown, which is like their Cheltenham. But they started running her on the flat. Interestingly, I, I did chase Ryan Moore. He, he's not a man who likes to talk much after races, but I chased after him and I said, what did you think? You know, Melbourne Cup next year? And he said, ah, oh, it's a long, 12 months, a long way away. And I said, yeah, but stamina will be no problem. And he looked at me, he said, she's got way too much speed. He said, and that Willie was, said yeah. that. Willie said, we could bring her back to 10 mm. furlongs. That was the query from OTI, is even if she'd snuck away into the cup, um, was whether, even with that background of the bumper and all that, National Hunt, that they don't think she's a true two-miler. And well, she- Willie did. Willie said she won over two and a half in that handicap an €80,000 handicap hurdle, which is a very big prize, 23 runners or something. Mm. And he said, if you can win two and a half mile handicap hurdle at a hot speed like that, you'd think you'd get two mm. mile on the flat. She did loom up to win the e-board, but she was there at the 
especially the furlong, she got tired mm. in the concluding stages there in that traditional lead-up race to the Melbourne Cup. But oh, I, th- I thought she was... I thought she was unlucky not to beat Prince of Aaron in the Geelong Cup. Very unlucky. Yeah. She was just unlucky. Was she one off getting a run for the Isn't Cup? Isn't she a seven-year-old mare? That'd be very unusual for an eight-year-old mare to come back yeah. and still be at the peak of her Would game. Great, but Cal- Caulfield Cup might be a better race for her if we're talking oh, well, about, who knows? about we, a bit of pace. But she, just a word about Willie Mullins. If we that was Willie's first winner in this country. He's been close. Yeah, Max Max Dynamite knocked the field over and ran second in the Cup. Came back two years later as a failed hurdler and ran third. Uh, Simonon, I think, a few Ooh. about seven or eight years ago, with Richard Hughes on board, ran fourth in a Melbourne Cup, second in a Herbert Power. So he's been knocking at the door. But but Willie Mullins is to to jumps racing what Aidan O'Brien Ooh. is to flat racing. The man yeah. is a dead set legend. genius, an absolute legend. And the partnership he had with the the peerless Ruby Walsh for. 10 or 15 years, unbelievably good. And interestingly, it's a tradition in England and Ireland, not so much here, but they have what are called dual-purpose horses. Horses who are very good two-mile handicappers or two-mile hurdlers, who, uh, which is the shortest distance they have jumps races over, who are equally adept over a mile and six, 2,800 and 3,200 on the flat. And, and he's starting to have a lot more of those horses running on the flat because the prize money is is leaping up in yeah. in, in England now. The Ebor's worth a million pounds, mm. the Cesarovich is worth a million pounds. So we might see more of these kind of raids from Willie Mullins in the future. Speaking of the European connection, it was interesting uh, when Johnny Murtagh was asked about Aidan O'Brien during the week and he it wasn't a, it didn't give him a clip but he put it into context. You know, everyone just always raves about the... Yeah. the and he said, uh, someone said, oh, you know, the great Aidan O'Brien, you know, and he said, oh, yeah, very good trainer, very good trainer. Uh, when you get 100 Galileos at the start of the year, you've got a fair head start, yeah. though, haven't you? And obviously now, <laughs> now Johnny competes against Aidan O'Brien, and there was a period that, that Johnny was killing it for Aidan O'Brien, and after his third year, there was all the rumours going around that Aidan was about to tap him on the shoulder and said, well, that's enough, Johnny, and eventually they had a, a press statement or a press release after he got back from America, and Johnny moved on from Coolmore, and then straight after that, Joseph O'Brien basically became the number one rider. Yeah, there's a lot... Oh, there, maybe there's there a bit might, of bad yeah, mo- there, emotional there baggage. Be. Maybe, yeah. but a lot of riders do not have long, long... You know, there's no 20-year partnership, no. except... Shamey Heffernan's the only man. Well, Ryan Moore's been there. Nearly well, through. but Shamey served his time yeah. at Jim Bulger's when Aiden was assistant trainer. So we're talking 25 years ago. Mm. Shamey Heffernan's been with Aiden ever since, but as second jockey. But there's a lot mm. of lads like Johnny who've had two or three years there, and then it's ended. What was your dead set highlight? Maybe your low light, Matthew. Uh, the good for me were the surprise package of the New Zealand horses. Uh, I think they batted above their their weight division. The bad for me for the carnival was the overall quality of our horses. And this comes back to the thing you don't want to talk about, the breeding numbers versus how well represented they are in the the races that count most. They're hardly there. I don't know whatever happens to them. The ugly for me... So who who did you want to see there? Horses that we can create in a better better yeah. landscape. I'll tell you who I wanted to see in Melbourne. I wanted to see Arcadia Queen yeah. in Melbourne. But I wanted to see Pierata running in that sprint Correct. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday, uh, you know, and, and Sunlight yeah. running in that sprint on Saturday. But I can't blame them being distracted, no. in Sunlight's case, by $7.5 million. But 
really the option shouldn't be there in a rational world with a body that controls racing for the good of all racing <laughs> not just one state or other sunlight should have been <laughs> if you go to you our know, most famous racing carnival race. you you expect to see our best horses don't you yeah. Yeah. and that is the damage of what Volandis and the done. ugly the ugly for me was the speed or lack of in the melbourne cup and the weather uh, well i think there were obviously some the the animal welfare issue was the good and the ugly. I mean, it yep. was the ugly in the way that it was finally forced onto the front pages and people actually had to confront what we all kind of knew was going on anyway. Uh, and and the good of that was the fact that people are now doing something about it. You yeah. know, money is being spent. OTI announced their new uh, process. Others are, are following suit. Um, I think there was sort of... It, it feels so far away that you forget about it. But, you know, Mark Zara, who, you know, w w was the sort of drive-by shooting victim in the Linda Meach uh, affair when he when she got jocked off the Derby favourite. But you forget Zara rode out of his skin on Caulfield Guineas Day, didn't he? Mm. He, he produced yeah. the Group 1 double on um, uh, Cape of Good Hope yep. and Super Seth getting up there just in the last yeah. tries. Honourable mention, I think, because he's going to... It, it won't really have been noticed by anybody except those in the racing bubble, but Jai McNeil rode his first Group 1 winner and followed up with a Group 2 winner mm. uh, at mm. the carnival. That's better than 95% of jockeys in the weighing room will have done. Yeah, that's, there you go. Been a lot of fun. That's wrapping up Cut Week Radio now. Craig Ferguson, you've been sensational. Oh, thank you, Gareth. It's been brilliant to have you. Had a great time. Been, days. Has he been good or has he been sensational? Sensational, I think. The way that he's been <laughs> able to conduct oh, yeah. he's a this particular... Cut Week Radio, which is a first, really, isn't it? It is a first. In fact, it's a first in Australian radio. Mm. My highlights have been heading out to the different functions that Cut Week has, like the Carbine Lunch, the Call of the Card, I found fascinating. Even the Oaks Day Lunch was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah. yeah it was a good day. Mm. Mate, and did, we have to mention. Did you invites to those? No. You were there no, for a couple. Do I. Yeah. No. <laughs> You're a you were there for a couple, were you? <laughs> No, I don't seem to get invited to the things that Gareth gets involved in. <laughs> and we must mention the mastermind of all of this, Adam White. Adam White, White sensational. Yeah. So, and well done to the VRC to see this. And I, I think only, well, Cut Week Radio can only get bigger and better. So looking forward to doing it all and again next Gareth, year. Gareth, we dip our lids to you. You've been the captain of the uh, really. of the digital For in a lot sure. of ways. Uh, so yeah, well done yeah. to you. Yep. Uh, and well done to well done to the team. Absolutely, you can go for uh, you going home for a beer now, Matthew. No, I'm a couchman. <laughs> okay, I'm, the, looks this, like this show's been one. great, but for the last forty five minutes, I've just been thinking about the couch. Yep, you've <laughs> you look like you've been four or five wide without cover <laughs> in the Melbourne Cup. Thank you, Michael. You guys will be back tomorrow morning or Monday morning for um, the Verd. The Verd. Yeah, well, Mytho is actually in tomorrow. Okay. I'm uh, I'm not, but uh, back the week after. All right, then. Well, have a wonderful day. Good on you, mate. We will have Thank a lovely you. day. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to Cut Week Radio. We'll continue on for the next couple of hours, but hopefully we'll do it all again next year. Hopefully you back plenty of winners over this magical week.